Good. How y'all doing? Good. We'll see if we can do something about that. <laughs> good, good. I, uh, yeah, really, I don't know about you, but just really sense the Lord's presence with us this morning. Thank you, Lord. I, uh, for a couple months, probably three months at least, been, uh, I was kind of praying, seeking the Lord. Uh, this is not straight. Um, seeking the Lord as to what, what was next after Easter. We had, uh, you know, had a, a series that we had been on for six months working through Ephesians and, uh, and then kind of leading up to Easter. And I, I kept getting this word heavy on my heart, awakening. Awakening. And uh, just say, say up front, first a couple things. This word awakening, some of you may be aware, many maybe not, that, that it's, been, uh, it's been sometimes used by the New Age movement. To, to mean some stuff. Um, it's also been recently uh, used by some political movements to mo- mean some stuff. And I'm, I'm not talking about any of that, any of those things. Um, but, but even as I had this word awakening on my heart, I was just asking the Lord, God, what, what does that mean? What, what do you mean by awakening? And... Uh, a sense that, that he was saying to me over the last few weeks as I really just in, intently was praying into that, there's a spirit of slumber on the church. And it, it is a serious problem. Um, and I, I don't just mean on evangel, although I believe we're touched by, I believe every church is touched by it, but, but, but on the church. Um, the church must awaken out of its slumber and awaken to its destiny, awaken to its calling, um, awaken to the power and authority that God has called us to walk in. The answer will not be found in the church trying to wield political power. The answer will not be found in the church trying to wield economic power. But the answer will be found when the church rises up and and is the church. Is what we have been called to be. That, uh, That when the church falls in love with Jesus again, when the church is living on mission, when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, when the church is, un, is, is with an untainted, um, untainted voice declares the message of the love and the grace of God, 
the forgiving and healing power of God, the righteousness and the justice and the holiness of God, it means that the church cannot be self-righteous and aloof from our culture. The church cannot hunker in the bunker and wait until Jesus comes to rescue us. But we have to get our hands and our feet dirty in the mess of people's broken lives and love like Jesus loved. Now is not the time to sleep. And um, there's, uh, there's even, again, this, this word awakening being, being used by political movements. One of the phrases out there is the great awakening. And, and again, that's not what I'm talking about at all, but there have been great awakenings in the history of the church. There have been many of them, but there are two particularly that, are called, that have been called by historians the Great Awakenings. And I want to just, just talk about this for a moment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on history today as much as I love history. But I think it's good to look back and, uh, and see what God has done in the past and the kinds of things He may want to do. Now, if God is calling us to an awakening, what does that look like? Right? Um, so, the first great awakening was in the mid-1700s. Anybody remember that? It's a little while ago. Right? The mid-1700s. It had been over 200 years since the Reformation when there had been a a great awakening of the church. Um, And and the church had kind of gotten complacent. church had gotten lazy. The church had been more influenced by the culture than it was influencing the culture. And, And... there was a sweeping move of God that happened. It's, it, it was happening in continental Europe, um, among, particularly amongst a group called the Moravians um, in a place called Moravia um, in, in Germany, uh, Germany, Czechoslovakia. And, uh, and that movement began the modern missionary movement. They sent out missionaries all over the world. The Moravians were uh, an incredible movement that brought the gospel all over the world. At the same time, in, in uh, Great Britain, we have, we have people like um, John Wesley, George Whitfield, and the Methodist movement that exploded in the UK and brought an incredible revival in the UK. Um, and, it, and it spilled over into America um, where we have uh, we- John Wesley and, and George Whitfield both visited America and Jonathan Edwards was a, a, con- a, a congregational preacher and there was, a, there was a move all over the world within 20 to 40 years, an incredible move of God swept around the world. 
And, and uh, many great missionary movements came out of it. Then, a hundred years later, the second great awakening happened on the tales of that. And we have people like uh, Charles Finney, if you've heard of him. He was a revivalist in the 1800s. Um, we have circuit rider preachers that went all over North America. We have missionary movements like Hudson Taylor that started China Inland Mission. David Livingston went into Africa. Adoniram Judson went into Burma. And all of these big names in missionary history. Uh, there was just this move of God that happened again that stirred up the church because it had been sleeping. And, and, and uh, revivals were happening all over the world, literally. The second great awakening actually led right on its heels to the Pentecostal revival, the Pentecostal movement that happened in the early 1900s. And, uh, and that swept the world as well. These awakening movements happened in a culture that had become increasingly secular increasingly dismissive of God and the place of faith in culture. They happened where the church had become lazy and complacent and needed to be awakened to the God-given responsibility to reach the world around them. Social evils had been given room because the church was asleep at the wheel. But they didn't change it by sitting back and tisk tisking the world, but by rising up and living full out for Jesus and reaching their neighbors with the hope of the gospel. The church shook off her sleepiness, got passionate as individuals about their own relationship with God once again. And God was on the move. The state, as we look around North America, folks, I would suggest to you this morning, and I have this strong burden on my heart, that the church in North America is in a state of slumber. That the only reason that the world is in the shape that it is in is because the church is in the shape that it is in. The mess that is happening is happening on our watch. And that should shake us. That should wake us. That should startle us. The state, of, the state of our church. I love some of the things that, that have been happening over the last year. I love some of the things that we've had the chance to do. To love and serve our city. And it's been really amazing and many of you have stepped up in a lot of ways. I want to I honor the history of this church. God has done some amazing things over the years through Evangel. 
God is doing some amazing things through evangel. But I, I just have a sense in my heart that what God has for us is so much bigger than what we are seeing right now. I believe that He wants His people to be powerhouses for Him. We need to see supernatural salvation stories. We need to see supernatural deliverance stories. We need to see stories stories of supernatural healing are far too rare. And I believe God wants to manifest His glory among us in ways that would amaze us. Where are the things that we have talked about? Where are the things that we have prayed for? The blockage is not with God. So it's time to look at us. I believe God is speaking to me about awakening because He's saying that there is a spirit of slumber on us and we need to shake it off. I want to read Scripture in Romans chapter 13. If you have Bibles or apps, You can join me there. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Paul writes, we're going to read verses, just verses 11 and 12. Paul says, And do this, understanding the present time. Just pause there for a second. Paul is saying to us just in his intro to what he's about to say that we need to be aware of our time. Aware of the season that we're in. Aware of what's going on around us. Right? So do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Um, oh, I guess I've got it up here. Sorry. Forgot I put it on the slide. Let's just read it one more time. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, Satan laughs at a sleeping church. 
we're no threat to him if we're just going along business as usual in a religious rut and we're stuck. The devil is not frightened by you going to church, not frightened by our religious behaviors. He doesn't care if we stay in our holy huddles and keep our beliefs to ourselves. But the moment someone actually decides to take up their cross and follow Jesus, the moment they discover who they are in Christ and begin to pray like prayer actually matters, begin to serve like eternities depend on it, the moment they begin to worship like they are worshiping for an audience of one, the moment they begin to share their faith with those that God has put in their path, the powers of darkness begin to tremble. We are either a problem for the kingdom of darkness or we are a problem for the kingdom of God. Because if we're, if we're helping other, if, if we're just stuck in slumber and we're helping other people to become sleepy religious people like us, then we're not helping the kingdom of God. I know this is strong, but it's strong in my spirit right now. And, and I believe God wants to take us as a people through a process in the next few weeks. To wake us and shake us. There's a... a C.S. Lewis, author I love. Many of you have heard of him. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Um interesting book it's it's a fictional uh conversation of of a demon with his with a with his a junior demon he's mentoring this demon how to trap christians and defeat christians and uh just a couple, couple quotes from Screwtape Letters. He says, he says to this junior demon, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And more amusing. Another quote. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. One more. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes a man a critic 
where God wants to make him a pupil. Jesus observed when his disciples came in from doing ministry that he saw Satan fall like lightning. The kingdom of darkness took a big hit because the followers of Jesus went out in the authority of the king and lives were changed. If that's not happening for us, rather than pretend that it is, we need to fall on our faces before God and say, God, not say, God, what's wrong with you, but God, what's going on with me? Eternities do count on it. I believe for Evangel, it is time for us to be real and honest and ask God what is in the way. What is in the way? And be ready to hear the answers that He gives us. This message series that we're wading into today is really unlike any message series I think I've done before. Because it feels like an airplane being built in the air. It feels like it's going to be shaped as we move forward. Because as God speaks to us, He's going he's gonna to show us step by step, I believe, what what we need to hear. And as Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I want to share a quote from one of my favorite modern lyrical poets. A band called 21 Pilots. Says, I'll stay awake because the dark's not taking prisoners tonight. I believe something needs to rise up on the inside of us that says, Not on my watch. Passion for God needs to come back to our hearts. Passion for the lost needs to come back to our hearts. Because God didn't put Evangel or any other church in this community so that we could be a nice organization. But He put us here with a mission to reach Lost people with the only hope of the world. And this sleepiness that we speak of today is not, it's not a small issue. It's not, it's not something Pastor Andrew came up with or dreamed up. It's not something that is just some weird off 
you know, um, idea off in the corner somewhere, but, but it's a huge issue in the New Testament. Um, Jesus and Paul both spoke about this issue of sleeping disciples, as did Peter as well. Um, it's not a new problem. It isn't something that is a problem somewhere else. Or some other group, or just the bad Christians. But it's a problem, it's a danger for every follower of Jesus that we can fall into a slumber that will cause us to be ineffective for God's kingdom. Um, the, uh, of course, we know that as is shown by the, the, the oil painting that's shown on the screen, um, that Jesus own disciples at his most urgent moment of need fell asleep on him right it's uh, this is told about in Matthew Mark and Luke's gospel i'm going to read a few verses from from Matthew's gospel chapter 26 verse starting in verse 36 Je- then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them sit here while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he prayed with his face to the ground and prayed. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My Father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men keep, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, uh, uh, may your will be done. When he came back, he said, uh, when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We're going to, next week, I'm, I'm on a week's vacation next week, but we're going to pick this up in two weeks. Um, Matt's actually preaching next Sunday, so it'll be a, a, a treat for you. But um, uh, in two weeks, we're going to pick this up again. I want to dig into this, this scene a little more, what's going on here. Um. But it's interesting because just a couple days before this, Jesus had told the story of the 
five wise and five foolish virgins. Right? Now, when it speaks of five wise and five foolish virgins, there really has nothing to do with their sexual activity. It, it has to do with the fact that they were bridesmaids is what that refers to. There were five wise bridesmaids and five foolish bridesmaids. And Jesus spoke of how the five foolish ones let their oil run out and fell asleep. And at the, at the moment of greatest need, at the moment when their, their attention needed to be most urgently given to the task at hand, they were found without oil and asleep. And then Jesus' own disciples played that out just as it had been told. I want to suggest to you that our, our hour is urgent. And we do not want to be found without oil, the power of the Holy Spirit, and asleep. That God needs us to be engaged, focused, filled at our best. Because the bridegroom is coming. Paul wrote to five different churches in his letters. Five of the churches that he wrote to. Rome, the church in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Colossae, and Thessalonica. All five of those churches he wrote to them and said, stay awake. It's a pretty big theme. Stay awake. Peter, in the letter of 1 Peter twice in chapter 1 and chapter 5 tells the church stay awake right the condition of the church is the condition of us folks we can't get away with saying oh the church is this and the church is that because the church is us Sometimes we get this feeling like we can just sit back, you know, on the bleachers and point out the faults of the church. It doesn't work like that. We are the church, and if there are faults, they're ours. We need to own them, and we need to step up and be who God has called us to be. It's a corporate issue, but it's also a personal issue. The church is made up of a collection of people, so the only way for the church to awaken is for there to be a tipping point of enough people who awaken to their own need to re-engage with God and re-engage with the mission and wake up. Billy Graham is quoted as saying, many people have just enough natural religion to make them immune to the real thing. We know about vaccinations today, don't we? We hear about it every day on the, on the news. 
Sometimes we can be vaccinated against a real passionate, sold out relationship with Jesus by having just enough of Jesus to make us feel like we're okay. And that's what it looks like when we're slumbering, right? Remember when I was a young adult and trying to sort out my faith, whether I truly believed in this thing that my parents had brought me up in or not. I remember looking around and seeing a lot of sleepy so-called Christians around me. And I knew I wanted no part of that. Just going through the motions. And I had, I, I knew enough at that stage in my journey that if this thing is real, then it's worth everything. And if it's not real, it's not worth anything. And I discovered as I, I knew the importance of it. And as I leaned in to sort it out for myself, I came to the conclusion that, it, that Jesus is absolutely real. That what He did for us is absolutely real. What He has in store for us is absolutely real and it is worth everything. And I'm reminded of that season in this season. I believe God's stirring my heart. God is stirring your pastor's heart to wake up and I want to I want to mirror that back to you and challenge all of us. We need to wake up, folks. We need to wake up. I believe this is a significant moment for us as a church. Here's, here's why. What I, what I sense for me is that God is saying, if I will listen to Him, if I will hear what he's saying to me, bless you, that uh, this is all about him preparing me to level up. And I believe it is about God preparing us as a church to level up. That he wants us to be ready to be entrusted with more authority, with more kingdom breakthrough authority for our city, for our region. But the only way that that can happen is if our hearts are prepared, if we are awakened, if we deal with the junk that has caused us to be sleepy, and that we are ready for all that He has for us. So here's, here's where I see this going. But again, 
I feel like we're building a plane in the air. I feel like we're just this will take shape as we go. But here's where I see this going over the next few weeks. I want to talk in a couple weeks about the signs and symptoms of slumber. What does it look like? As we look in the Scriptures, what does it look like when we get sleepy and lose track of our mission and our passion? Then our prognosis that we're not beyond help, that, that God anticipated this problem he gave us a way to deal with it that, that, that the prognosis doesn't need to be a bad prognosis. And then the cure. And that leads us right to Pentecost Sunday where I want us to seek God for fresh fire from Him. Let's stand, please. Feels, feels very introductory today. There's a lot more that we're going to get into in the days to come. But I needed you to hear my heart. Needed you to hear what God is stirring in me, and I do, I believe it's not just for me. I believe it's for for us. So I want to invite you to come with me on this journey over the next weeks. That we would put down our defensive posture. That we wouldn't say, how dare you say that about me? But we would, we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Because I just, I just believe God is up to something. I really do. Let me lead you in prayer. We're going to sing a song, um, just a simple song. Uh, forget what's it called. I need, I need you more. Thank you. I need you more. And uh, and we'll pray. It, we'll sing it as a prayer. God, I, I thank You for Your love for us that loves us where we are but doesn't leave us stuck. I thank You for Your love and Your desire for us to to live in a place of 
um, of truly knowing you, not, not going through the motions, not empty religion, but of truly knowing you and having lives that are so ignited with a passion for Jesus that we don't have to work to reach people with the gospel. They just want what we've got. God, I pray that we would hear what you are trying to communicate to us today and in the weeks to come. I pray that you would awaken us from our slumber and that you would prepare us to walk in the authority that you have in store. God, I got to say, I'm nervous and excited. Because I know there's a cost to letting you have your way in my life. But I know there's a reward. And I know the reward is worth the cost. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way in me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I need you more.